Good morning, everyone. My name is Russell. I'm going to read to you from Genesis 42, um, 1 to 8. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, Why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us, so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others, because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them. But he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Yes. Um, so I'm reading to you from Acts chapter 7, starting at um, uh, verse 2 to 16. And uh, the context is, just before Stephen was stoned, he made a speech in his defense. To this he replied, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was still in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran. Leave your country and your people, God said, and go to the land I will show you. So he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After the death of his father, God sent him to this land where you are now living. He gave him no inheritance here, not even enough ground to set his foot on. But God promised him that he and his descendants after him would possess the land, even though at that time Abraham had no child. God spoke to him in this way, For 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, God said, and afterward they will come out of that country and worship me in this place. Then he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision, and Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him eight days after his birth. Later, Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they sold him as a slave into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. He gave Joseph wisdom, enabled him to gain the goodwill of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Pharaoh made him ruler over Egypt and all his palace. Then a famine struck all Egypt and Canaan, bringing great suffering, and our ancestors could not find food. When Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our forefathers on their first visit. On their second visit, Joseph told his brothers who he was, and Pharaoh learned about Joseph's family. After this, Joseph sent for his father Jacob and his whole family, 75 in all. Then Jacob went down to Egypt, where he and our descendants died. Their bodies were brought back to Shechem and placed in the tomb that Abraham had brought from the sons of Hamor at Shechem for a certain sum of money. Our loving Father, we do pray that you will help us not just to hear your word, but to hear it and understand it and apply it to our lives. Amen. 
Well, folks, as you probably know, we've been working through the life of Joseph. And um, I don't know whether it struck you, or maybe it's just me, but it struck me as we've been working through how dysfunctional this family is. Um, Joseph is a little tattletale. Um, he's enjoying dobbing his big brothers in when he's a young teenager. And he lacks the wisdom to keep his dreams to himself. For the first time, maybe you can excuse it. But when he knows that his brothers are getting very angry the first time he tells them a dream, you think he'd you know, keep the rest to himself. But he doesn't. He lets them know. And his brothers hate his guts, as we've heard, and they're going to murder him. But instead, they sell him as a slave. That's much better, isn't it? Looks like Joseph is the model faithful man in the whole of the Joseph story. And I hope you've picked up that there's lots in Joseph's life that are commendable. But you can't help noticing too that he's a little vengeful. I don't know whether you've picked that up. Today, today we're going to see that he, he plays with his brother's heads a bit. Um, I hope you have read through the passage. If not, I hope you do because we haven't got time to go through it all today. But as we go through bits of it, you'll see that he, he puts one of them in jail for months. Uh, he puts them all through a little bit of what he's been through. He threatens to make them his slaves. Um, he sort of gets revenge on them after a sort. It's, it's all a little bit sordid, really. And the rest of the family, Joseph's a good bloke compared to the rest of the family. So his father, Jacob, whose name gets changed to Israel, and so he's, the far, he's Israel, the father of the 12 tribes, he is willing, we'll see, to sacrifice his oldest son in order to protect his favourite son. Read the backstory of Jacob and you'll see that he's a, he's a scheming cheat. He and his mother both scheme a way to cheat his older brother out of his inheritance. Um, his wives, Jacob's wives, don't get on at all. They taunt each other. And one wife agrees to sell her husband's bed for the night to the other wife for some food, some mandrakes. And Jacob has children by four different women. Reuben, the oldest of these kids, um, sleeps with one of his stepmothers. This is a really mixed up, messed up family. This is not, you know, your Brady Bunch family. And yet there is faith in God, isn't there, in the midst of all that. So we know that Joseph has a deep faith in God. Uh, even his brothers, as we're going to see, talk about God being in charge. They say at one point, what has God done to us? So they acknowledge that God's the ruler. And Jacob, Joseph's father, does have a faith in God, a trust in God. Um, in chapter 46, God appears to Jacob in a vision and Jacob does what he's told. And so they're a real mixed bag, this family. You probably recognise your own family in that. Because we're all a mixed bag, aren't we, Really? We're all just a little bit dysfunctional. Maybe you're not, but our family certainly is. The life of Joseph has something to say to all of us who are a mixture of faith and failure. So let's have a look. As you remember, Pharaoh has appointed Joseph to be his 2IC to oversee the planning of drought relief because this big drought's coming. And the drought's now in its second year and it's extended throughout the whole region. And things are bad in Canaan. So see Hebron over there? That's Canaan. That's the promised land. That's where uh, Joseph's family all live. And when Joseph is sold as a slave, he's taken up the Shechem Dotham 
uh, and then it goes down to Egypt. And the reason it's, it's a roundabout sort of route is because uh, that's the fertile route down through the coastal strip there. So the drought is really bad over there in Hebron where Joseph's family are and uh, Jacob, Israel, uh, sends his to- ten older sons from Hebron uh, to Egypt because they hear that Egypt's got plenty of grain. He doesn't send his youngest son, Benjamin, because Benjamin's his favourite. See, uh, Jacob uh, has a favourite wife of the two and uh, had two sons by that woman, Joseph, his favourite, you know, the Technicolor Dreamcoat guy, and Benjamin. And so Benjamin's now his favourite. Joseph is gone and so he does not want to risk losing Benjamin. So the others don't really matter. He can send them off, but he wants to protect the youngest. Good loving father, isn't he? Now, for some reason, when they get to Egypt, Joseph interviews them. And the only reason I can figure he would do that, because there'd be lots of people coming for food, is that he probably interviews all the foreign ambassadors and embassies that come in uh, to make sure there's no spying going on, I guess. Anyway, the brothers come in, they bow before him. There's Joseph's dream, by the way. Uh, See, God doesn't make stuff up as he goes along. There are, there are some around who say God's not in, God hasn't got a plan, but God's so smart that as events occur, God responds to them. He's so wise that he can respond to events as they go. But this tells us, no, no, God had planned that Joseph's brothers would bow down to him because Joseph had those two dreams at least 17 years before. Anyway, they come in, they bow down to him, and they don't recognise Joseph. It's because he's a gawky teenager at 17 when they sell him into slavery. He's now speaking Egyptian. He's pretending he can't understand Hebrew, uh, so he has an interpreter there. He's dressed in the finest robes. He's the second in charge in Egypt. And they would only be seeing him from a distance because the passage of the story actually tells us that uh, Egyptians don't think much of Hebrews. Um, The Hebrews were were, were shepherds and shepherds were considered the lowest of the low. So we'll see later on when Joseph eats with his brothers, they're separate. So they'd have been miles away from him as they came in and bowed before him. They wouldn't have got up close and seen him. And what's more, ancient Egyptian rulers uh, shaved their whole bodies, shaved their heads. And if you know someone shaved their head, they look very different, don't they? And some of them even wore wigs and makeup, the male rulers. So it's no surprise they don't recognise Joseph, but he recognises them and he gives them a grilling. It's all right, Phil. (laughs) (laughs) He accuses them of being spies. Can I say, that is a huge accusation because the penalty for being a spy was death. And he says, you're spies. You can imagine the brothers go, well, well, we're in real strife. The Bible doesn't tell us why he does that because he knows who they are. And we can only sort of make an educated guess as to why he's doing it. Uh, If I were Joseph, I'd want to find out whether these men had changed at all. I'd want to know what I was going to do with them. Now they've come before me asking for grain. I want to find out what sort of men they now are. Or maybe, maybe he just wants them to suffer a little. You know, it takes time to work yourself up to a godly response when people hurt you, doesn't it? Pretty hard to just treat them properly with forgiveness and grace right at that very moment. Maybe that's what's going on. There's a bit of him that just wants to make them feel what he'd feel for a while. So the brothers say, 
we're not spies. And they explain, you know, we're all the sons of one man and he's back there in Canaan and our youngest brother is there with him. And so Joseph says, you are spies, but you can prove your story is true by going back to Canaan and bringing this so-called younger brother with you. Now Joseph wants to meet Benjamin because Benjamin and he were two sons of the one mother. I think they were pretty close if you read the story. And then he sticks them all in jail for three days. And then he changes his mind and says, look, I'll just keep one of you here in jail as a guarantee. The rest of you can go back home and you need to bring your younger brother back to me. Or this one stays in jail. Bit nasty, isn't it? Don't you think? Keeping in jail. I mean, we like to hold Joseph up as the model of godliness and maybe I've got him wrong, but there's a little bit of vindictiveness going on here. He's not... He's not perfect, he's human. Maybe he's still checking them out. Or maybe he's still working out how to overcome his desire to make them suffer, maybe. I don't know. Whether or not that's what's going on for Joseph, we know it sometimes takes time, doesn't it? Ourselves to come to grips with a godly response. And as long as we listen to the the promptings of the Holy Spirit in our heart, encouraging us to have godly responses will be all right. And, and maybe Joseph wants to see if they're sorry for what they did to him. Because it's easy to forgive someone if they're sorry, isn't it? Because God doesn't forgive us unless we repent, unless we're sorry. Um, so in 42, verse 21, it says, uh, when Joseph does this, the brothers talk amongst themselves in Hebrew, not knowing he can understand them. And they say, I quote, Surely this is happening because of what we did to Joseph. We saw how upset he was when he pleaded for his life, but we didn't listen. Okay, so there's, you catch, don't you, a bit of a sense of repentance, a bit of guilt over what they did to Joseph. Uh, Reuben, he's the oldest brother, he's the one responsible for it, and he's the one who, um, when they want to kill Joseph, says, no, no, don't kill him, put him in that cistern, that well over there, because he's going to come back later and rescue him. So Reuben, the oldest, says, oh, maybe this, this is happening to us because we need to account for what we did to Joseph. We, we're getting punished for what we did to Joseph. And I figure in all this discussion, there is guilt and sorrow and repentance because we're told when Joseph hears them talking, he turns his head so they can't see him weep. So there's something going on with the brothers, isn't there? There's, there's a bit of repentance, there's, there's some guilt and remorse for what they've done. But Joseph's not finished. He takes Simeon as his hostage. Simeon is the number two in age. Reuben's the oldest, but he was a good bloke. He tried to rescue Joseph. Maybe, who knows, maybe Joseph didn't keep him, but he kept the next oldest, the next responsible, Simeon. And so he says, Simeon stays in jail. You can all go home, you've got your grain, you've bought your grain, off you go, but you need to bring Benjamin back so I'll know that you're not spies. But Joseph puts the silver that they'd used to pay for their grain, he doesn't do it, he gets his servants to put it back in their sacks. And uh, they're on their way home, someone opens one of the sacks and sees the money there, one of the brothers. (coughs) And the Bible says they're terrified. Because now, not only are they being accused of being spies, they could be accused of being thieves. 
And the Bible says their hearts sank and they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? So the brothers have some faith in God. Might not be a real strong faith, like all of us, I guess. Not enough faith to stop them selling their brother as a slave. Not enough faith to admit to their dad what they'd done, but some faith in God. And when they get home, they open up the sacks and they discover everybody's sack has the silver in it. And now they are absolutely terrified. The only way to get Simeon back, who's still in jail in Egypt, is to take Benjamin. But that would be disastrous now that they've got all that silver in their sacks, now that they won't be just accused of being spies but of being thieves as well. And, and Jacob says, you're not going back. In fact, what he says is pretty ironic, I think, if you read it. You have deprived me of my children, he says to the brothers. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. That's interesting, isn't it? He's written Simeon off. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me, he says. And so for the brothers, you see, their chickens have come home to roost, haven't they? Jacob blames them for losing Simeon and now probably Benjamin if they have to return to Egypt. What he doesn't know is they're not responsible for those two, but they are responsible for him losing Joseph. And then Reuben steps up and he says, let me go back to Egypt, let me take Benjamin and I will bring Benjamin and Simeon back. And he says, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care and I will bring him back. Now he's willing to sacrifice his own kids. So there's some, some development here, isn't there, in the life of Reuben. Seems to be a good bloke. Stands up for Joseph when the brothers want to kill him and now is willing to you know, take, do whatever it takes to go back and, and rescue Simeon and bring Benjamin back and get some more grain. But not a good enough bloke to actually stop his brothers trying to kill Joseph. And not a good enough bloke to put dad out of his misery and let him know what really happened to Joseph. Jacob refuses to let them go and take Benjamin back. And that means he's abandoned Simeon. Simeon is no more. Okay? He loves his younger son so much that he'll let another son rot in jail. He's not really a picture of the loving father, is he? And this is Jacob. This is Israel, the father of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. The family of Abraham. These are the ones that God said through Abraham, through your descendants, and Jacob's his grandson, Joseph's a great-grandson, through your descendants I will bless the whole world. You will be my people and I will be your God. And look at them. What a mess. The Bible is clear that God chose this family not because they were any more godly than any other family. You know, you've got to, you look at the family of Joseph and Jacob and you go, why would God choose this family to be his people? Seriously, look at them. But you go to Romans 9. And the Bible says it's not because they were such a great and godly people. Have a look at it. I need to explain a little bit. Rebecca is, um, is Jacob's mum and she has two kids. She has uh, Jacob and Ishmael. Jacob and Ishmael. Esau, sorry, Jacob and Esau. Um, and, and the Bible says before they were even born, God had chosen one of them. Let's have a look at it. 
Not only that, Rebecca's child, that's Jacob's mum, sorry, Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. It does not therefore depend on human desire or effort but on God's mercy. The story is there, you know, here are these twins born and the one that's born first should have been the one to inherit but, but now it doesn't happen that way. God says, I'm going to choose the youngest son to be the line through which I will bless the world and that's before they're even born. So God did not choose Jacob because he was such a godly man or holy because he chose him before he was born. Romans says that it's, the point is God's love is not earned but it's given. It's not earned but it's given. God works through this dysfunctional family to bring about his plans for the whole of humanity, for you and I, because he's chosen them to be his. They don't deserve it. They haven't earned it. But they're given the privilege. And friends, I think the application for us is that no matter how much of a success or a failure you are in the world's eyes, and no matter how much you don't or do deserve God's love, and no matter how functional or dysfunctional you are as a mother or a father or a child or a parent in your families, if you have repented, if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and his death for you, then God has set his love upon you. He's chosen you and he gives his love to you. It's, it's like you know when, when, when people adopt a child, They haven't had nine months to get to love this little thing that's in the womb and stuff as soon as it turns up, but they set their love upon it. That's what God does for his people. He sets his love upon them. Anyway, the famine goes goes on uh, and things are really bad back in in Canaan and so Jacob relents and he sends his sons back to Egypt to get more food and all this time Simeon's been in jail and this time... Judah says to his father, it was Reuben the first time, now Judah says, I will guarantee Benjamin's safety. I will take responsibility for him. Let me take him back to Egypt with us so we can get more grain. So now it's two of the brothers, isn't it, who are willing to risk everything to look after Benjamin. And so you want to say things have changed for them a bit, haven't they? And when they go back to Egypt, they come before Joseph again and they're scared stiff, rightly so. And then Joseph invites them for a meal. And the Bible says they think he's going to make them his slaves. Isn't that ironic? They are scared that Joseph, they don't know it's Joseph, is going to make them his slaves when what they had done is sold him as a slave. And there are more twists and turns in the story. We can't go through all of it. But Joseph still doesn't reveal who he is, doesn't let them know, and then he messes with their heads some more, I think. Because at the meal, he seats them at the meal, and the Bible says he distances himself because Hebrews cannot eat with the Egyptians and vice versa. He seats them in order of their age. And the Bible says they are astonished at that because they haven't told him who's the oldest, who's the youngest but he seats them in order of their age. And so they're going, what is, what is going on? How does he know? 
after the meal, he sends them on their way, but again sticks the money back in their sacks, but this time puts this silver goblet, this silver cup in Benjamin's sack. And they're all closed up and off they go back towards Canaan. And then Joseph, you can see what I mean by there's some stuff going on here that's not real pleasant with Joseph. Joseph sends his steward to chase them and he catches up with them and says, someone has stolen my master's silver goblet. And they go, oh, no, no, we wouldn't do that, we wouldn't do that. And he, goes, he says, the guy that's done that is going to become my slave, says the steward. And they open the sack and there it is in Benjamin's sack. And I go, what is what's Joseph doing? Anyway, they take, everybody goes back before Joseph and Joseph tells them they are free to go but Benjamin must stay behind as his slave. That's what Joseph says. Can you imagine what's going through the brother's mind? Can you imagine what's going through Reuben's mind and going through the other, Judah's mind who've said, you know, you can kill my sons if I don't bring him back. You're going to be my slave. And then the Bible says that Joseph can no longer control himself and he makes himself known to his brothers. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Now it all makes sense to them, you see. Now all the pieces are click, 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 click in the place. It's Joseph. And they're terrified. But look what Joseph says in chapter 45, verse 5. He said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no ploughing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Joseph says, this is all God's doing. God planned my slavery. God planned my imprisonment. God was in it. He wasn't making it up as he went along. It's all part of God's intricate plan. And the Bible says that even their evil was part of God's plan for good. They intended evil, God intended good. Joseph says the same thing in verse 8, look at it. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. And folks, we read the same thing, don't we, throughout the Bible, particularly in the life of Jesus. Peter says in Acts 2 about Jesus' death, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. See, wicked people make their own choices. And we're held responsible for our choices as God's people and as those who aren't God's people. But God was acting in and through their choices to work his plans. Free will and God's plans somehow work together. We don't know how, but those two truths are there in the scripture. And I want to say, what a relief. Is that not a relief that even the wickedness in the world is not outside of God's control? Not even our free will is outside of God's control. And notice, Joseph wasn't sent there primarily to rescue the Egyptians. 
It's to rescue the children of Israel. So you see that there? God's chosen people. God has made a promise that the descendants of Abraham will be his people. He will look after them. The whole world will be blessed through them. And so God is looking after them. He sent Joseph into Egypt so that when the drought came, Joseph will be there to rescue them. God has a special love for his people. That means you, if you're here and you're one of his people. Then after all this, uh, Joseph reveals himself. He finds out Jacob's still alive. Pharaoh says to him, bring your family to Egypt. We can look after them. And so, as that reading from Acts tells us, in the New Testament, the whole tribe, 70, 75 of them, plus, plus their wives, they all come to Egypt to live there. And later, we know that they will grow so numerous that a later Pharaoh will enslave them because he's scared that they will revolt and take over the, the, the land of Egypt. And uh, they're slaves for 400 years, and then Moses comes to free them. But that's another story. Just a couple of things I want to remind you of in conclusion. Firstly, much as we like to hold Joseph up as the model of faithfulness and a godly man, he was not perfect. This part of history is recorded for us not to show us what a great guy Joseph was, although he was, but to show us what a great God our God is. That's why it's recorded. He does maintain a fantastic faith in God and and we ought to emulate that if we can. But he's also human. He messes with his brother's minds. He seems to play a few vengeful tricks on them. You know, he sticks them in jail for three days and then holds Reuben in jail for months and and on it goes, threatens to make them slaves, accuses them of being spies, holds the threat of execution over their heads. All that stuff's going on. And the bigger picture of this family God's people through whom God is going to bless the whole world, they are a messed up bunch. They are a seriously messed up bunch. And you want to go, why did God persevere with them? Why did God love them? And the answer is because he'd chosen them. Just like the Bible says that if we repent and we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's because God is calling us as well. He's chosen us to be his. He set his love upon them. This is what Moses said 400 years later to those that same family. Because you realise that the Bible, the whole Bible is a story of this one family. This is what he says. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people's. Notice, set his affection upon you. The Lord did not set his affection upon you and choose you because you were more numerous than other people's. For you were the fewest of all people's. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand. See, dysfunctional and sinful as they were, God kept his word. It says he set his affection on them. And I want to say, isn't that what God does for us? If we are his people, then he has set his love upon us as well, each individual one of us. He didn't call you into his family because you were so lovable. He didn't set his love on you because you were so wise and so smart and you were just the right sort of people he was looking for. He set his love on you. He set his love on me. Despite our failure 
our sin, our dysfunction, if you want to use that word. Because we're all a mixture, aren't we? We're all a mixture of good and bad. We're all a mixture of faith, if you're part of the family of God, and faithlessness. Don't let your failures and your sin and your dysfunction, don't let the evil one try to convince you that those things mean that God doesn't love you because you're not lovable. Don't let him get in your head and trick you of that. That is not the truth. The story of Joseph is the story of God's faithfulness to his promise. And if you're not part of God's family yet, if you haven't submitted yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that you're here today means that God is working on you. You wouldn't be in a Christian church if God wasn't drawing you. He's calling you. And what you need to do is you need to repent. That is, turn away and apologise for your sin and your failure, your dysfunction, whatever else you want to call it, and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and trust his death in your place to pay for your sin. Repent. That's the first thing. Secondly, isn't it fantastic that God works through evil? And as we've seen, even through life's problems to work out his plans for us. And his plans for us is that he takes us to glory. His plans for us is that we spend eternity with him where every tear will be wiped dry, where we will bask in the joy of knowing the Lord and being with him forever. And his plan is that in this life we live lives that glorify him and we will walk closely with him and he will walk with us and be our God. Isn't it wonderful that he's so much in charge? He's not playing catch up. It's not as though, you know, Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and God went, oh no, now what am I going to do? And it's not as though, you know, he looks at you and me and sees my dysfunction and goes, oh, Dingle, what are you doing now? What am I going to do? You've ruined my plans. No. He's in charge. Even evil serves his purposes, although he is not the author of evil, says the Bible. That is such an encouragement, friends. I hope you're encouraged by it. Nothing, absolutely nothing, can separate you from the love of God if you've made the Lord Jesus Christ your Lord and you're trusting him. Nothing can separate you from the love of God because he has chosen to love you. How about we pray? Oh, Father, thank you for our brother Joseph. I want to thank you for the good things we see in his life, for his faithfulness to you, his, his trust in you. But Father, I want to thank you too for letting us see this family in all their glorious dysfunction, their faithfulness and their lack of faithfulness, their obedience and their lack of obedience. For our encouragement, Lord, because we see it's all about you. It's all about your faithfulness and not ours. It's all about your love for us and not ours for you. Father, thank you so much. And I pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning, for all of us, that you will give us this undying trust in your goodness that you are in control and that we're yours i pray for those who don't know you this morning and ask god that you will continue that process of drawing them to repentance and faith in jesus amen